I thought I was so alone. I thought nobody else is going through this. I am the only one. And then when I did start, you know, talking to people or even looking online, I discovered what narcissism was Mm. and light bulbs went off. I said, oh my gosh, this is a thing. And I realized, you know, as I said earlier, that there are a lot of people that are not safe and they are so fearful. But what if I could put myself in a situation where I am safe, which I am now, and where I have the ability and the resources to speak up about it, which I am, and this is what I'm doing. Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Helping People Perform podcast. Uh, absolutely delighted to be joined today uh, by a guest all the way from Illinois over in the States. We have mother, wife, author of Gasping for Air, and um, survivor, but most important, the voice for victims of narcissistic abuse. Welcome to the show today, uh, Dana Diaz. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. And I, I, we had a, a little chat, I believe it was yesterday, just in preparation yes. for this and uh, to get to know the, the story and, uh, and know where you're coming from. And uh, absolute, absolute delighted to be able to use a platform that I've got to help share some stories and maybe help some people perform in a slightly different way than maybe some of my previous episodes as well. So um, maybe to kick things off, could you give us a little bit about yourself in terms of what's got you to where you are today? Yes, absolutely. Um, I am an unwilling um, volunteer, apparently, to the world of narcissism. Um, I was raised by a narcissist um, that my mother married, and she enabled it, um, even tried to force me into submitting to the narcissistic stepfather. Um, and then I ended up marrying a narcissist, um, a different kind of narcissist, however. So I, I kind of didn't see that coming. And, you know, then I've only been a few years out of that, thought life was going to be okay. And um, a friend of like, I, we must have been friend 15, 16 years, uh, just I had no idea she was also a narcissist. So I think I'm a magnet for it. Um, unfortunately have a degree in journalism and psychology. So um, I have taken it upon myself to uh, speak up for other victims. Uh, certainly the things I have been through, you know, are not pleasant, but many other people um, I'm hearing stories that are absolutely horrific um, but those people are not safe or will never be in a situation and potentially can't even um, verbalize or understand their situations enough to really speak up about it. So I've taken that role upon myself um, and self-designated myself as the voice for victims of abuse. It needs to be, you know, dealt with in society. Um, you know, people don't like to talk about negative things. Polite mm. society says you don't talk about it at all, but um, it needs to be brought up because there's no criminal um, consequences for the things that are done to victims. And um, we, we need to start sharing and voicing, you know, what's actually going on in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, I really appreciate you being uh, sort of 
I don't want to use the word brave because um, you know it, it 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 takes a certain amount of courage, but it, it's it's the strength of character is what I'm trying to get at is to be able to go. Something has happened to me. I'm going to make positive out of this, not only for myself, but I'm going to help others. And I think that's the bit that inspired me to to get you on the show. Really, is the that from tragedy can come some good things uh, and and things can move forward so um just for my audience and also for me (laughs) in some ways here can you explain to me what is narcissism and what is narcissistic abuse and how how does that differ from other things that are out there yeah absolutely and i will do my best so everybody forgive me because there are people that you know study narcissism for decades of their life and it's not a simple thing Mm. um from my experience lifelong experience. Narcissism is basically when somebody has an overinflated idea of themselves, um, which causes them to target usually one person, maybe two, but usually it's one person um, that they, there's all this terminology, but they're basically um, getting the supply, they call it, um, from their so-called target. Um, supply being whatever it is. It might be servitude. It might be financial gain, um, status, um, sexual, you know, things. Mm. (laughs) We'll just leave it at that. Um, It it could be just general um, feeling of power, you know, in, in that they control and bully and manipulate the person so that they, you know, feel big and tough and strong. Um, but narcissism, you know, it depends who you read and who you talk to. There's various different types of narcissists. What we're talking about, and I want to be very clear here, when I'm speaking, I'm talking about malignant narcissists, which are exactly what it sounds like, bad narcissists. Narcissists right. that are intentionally causing harm to another human being in order to gain whatever it is they're seeking. Mm. Um, because there are people that have narcissistic qualities and might even be narcissists, but they're not hurting anybody. Right. You know, I, I, I know somebody who um, I'm laughing because she's almost comical. She really loves herself, like really loves herself, <laughs> loves her body, loves the way she looks, the selfies, the Facebook, you know, mm-hmm. and, and she works hard on that body. She looks great for her age. And we all just have to laugh. She, But she's not bothering anybody with it. She just is really feeling herself. Um, but the narcissist that I have dealt with and, and where we get to the abuse is, again, where there is intentional harm. Right. Um, it could be emotional harm, physical harm, um, again, sexual, you know, uh, unconsensual sex yeah. um, or I've I've seen a lot in the sexual realm with narcissists. Money is a big thing. Um, so when they're trying to hurt somebody or manipulate somebody to get those things mm. is where we're falling into narcissistic abuse. But yeah. again, it can cause tremendous harm. Um, just very briefly touching upon my story, my book Gasping for Air talks about how in this 25 year relationship with my ex-husband, you know, there were all those things right from the beginning, all the red flags. I still fell for it. I thought I was being noble staying then after we had a son together. Um, But what really was the straw that broke the camel's back is when I got sick, I did not realize 
that taking all that emotional abuse and the physical threat and all the the, the financial stuff that was going on, mm. it actually created um, a lot of havoc in my body and the stress hormone cortisol was pumping at such high levels right. in my body that I actually went autoimmune and developed a lung disease wow. um, because of, uh, you know, my body thought, there was something inside of it that it had to eradicate like a cancer or something. So right. this is something that I'll have to live with the rest of my life um, because of, you know, basically, you know, him emotionally, sexually, financially, you know, all this abuse. People mm. say, did he ever lay a hand on you? He raised a hand to me. He raised a crowbar to me. He shot a gun. There was oh. a knife. Did he ever actually harm me with these things? No, but... Mm. I, I'm now living the rest of my life with physical consequences of the because of the fear mm. of living with him. Yeah, no, I mean it, it's it's terrible that anybody has to go through this. But there's, um, uh, you know, I I know of people, um, friends and or, or contacts who have experienced narcissistic abuse. Mm -hmm. I don't not sure I knew the name of it at the time, right. but one of the things that um, that intrigued me that I had never even thought of before uh, and you've touched upon it here we I think we can all imagine physical abuse we can imagine sexual abuse right e even emotional abuse but I think I, you know that's maybe something I'd like to understand a bit more but it's the financial abuse that was a new one to me mm -hmm. yeah uh, can you explain what that means to you and maybe your experience of that Oh yeah, that was a big, a big thing. Um, you know, every, every couple has, uh, those conversations about money, but, um, very early on with me. And I mean, I think even the first night, um, that we actually sat and had a conversation together and getting to know each other, he brought up how he really wanted more. He wanted a house, he wanted a nice car. He wanted all these things in life. I looked at it as ambition but at the same time, you know, thing, he, things progress very fast with narcissists. When they, once they decide they want you, they read you very quickly so they know how to get you. Right. So once he had me, so to speak, and he saw that, you know, here I was raised by a narcissist and the narcissist that raised me, my stepfather, had Corvettes and he had nice watches and cameras and beautiful home and, and all the things, all the things of status and things that said, look at me, I have money because he was a very showy and arrogant narcissist. So part of me wonders if my ex saw that and thought that maybe at some point he would be entitled to that, you know, either through inheritance or, you know, through some association with me, he just didn't know that, you know, that was not of interest to me and that I really didn't have much of a relationship and still don't with my mother and stepfather, mm. regardless in our marriage, um, it was little things, but it was it, it, what people need to understand. It wasn't that something happened once in a while. It was every single day. Mm. Um, for example, um, at one point he was laying on the couch one night. He said, I want to go buy a chainsaw tomorrow. I said, why do you need a new chainsaw? You have one. What's wrong with yours? He says, well, I just want a new one. 
And I said, well, you know, I just want the Hope Diamond, but that's not going to happen. I mean, you know, be realistic. I said, I just paid the bills. And because he was so frivolous and careless with money, we were not just paycheck to paycheck. It was like pennies left. I had $3 and and, and some change left in our checking account after writing out the bills, our mortgage, our lights, our phone. He, I don't care. I'm going to buy the chainsaw tomorrow. You better figure it out. That's what he told me. Mm. And I said, well, I can't figure it out. I don't have any other money anywhere. Mm. I need you to be reasonable about this. Long and short of it, he went and bought the chainsaw the next day. Got a brand new chainsaw. Didn't use it. Didn't need it. Mm. He bought it because he wanted it. All of the checks I had written for our bills, well, they were returned for non-sufficient funds. So then I had the late fees on all those bills. I had the non-sufficient funds fees for the bank and then the daily charge because I didn't have funds to replace those with. But again, this is one story in 25 years of this happening constantly, constantly. He'd show up one day with a four-wheeler. How are we going to pay for that? Why did you think it was okay to buy that without asking me? I'm your wife. Well, I wanted it. Okay, well, you know, usually you have to go get a job and earn things. And and he would always talk also of he didn't want to work. Well, who does want to work? Mm. Win the lottery, then go do something, invent something brilliant that we can live the rest of our lives comfortably. No, he just um, stopped working after having a herniated disc. Um, he had it to have it surgically relieved. Um that was about four and a half years before the end of our marriage, but he never went to work after that. Mm. Tried to claim he was disabled, um, even though he was walking around doing things around our house and riding his four wheelers and dirt bikes and everything else just fine. Um, and I continually appealed to him. You know, I, I said, I, I I am working 12 hours a day, seven days a week. I am going weeks and weeks and weeks without a day off please help me. Please help me. Please get a part-time job. Please do something. Hmm. Um, He told me, no, he said it was my turn to support him. And I thought his turn, he never supported me. I had worked throughout our entire Hmm. relationship. He always halved the bills, whatever the bills were. I had to pay my half to him. He didn't um, like my name on his checking account. So we didn't even have a joint checking account because he wanted to be in control of his money. But he also made sure he had access to my money, had the password for my account. So these are the things of financial abuse. Um, So for the last four and a half years of our marriage, I was the primary breadwinner. um, And he literally laid on the couch and watched TV most of the day every day and continued to spend our money um and even after our divorce believe it or not um he was forced to get a job um but (laughs) he had just secured the position and in our country at least you need to be on your job at least two years normally to be able to qualify to get a mortgage to buy a house yeah well he gets a job and maybe a week later i find out he's buying a house well how are you buying a house well we filed taxes as a married couple. We filed jointly. I was the only one working and making money. Mm. Guess what he used to buy a house? The taxes that were my income, <laughs> but his name was on them because we were married filing jointly. So, you know, it was like, even though our marriage was over, he was still still, still taking. And then there was an issue with the IRS after that, where I was paying quarterly taxes 
because I was running a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and the year after our divorce, he filed taxes before I did and had the quarterly taxes that I paid into the government applied to his taxes solely. And I just finished a, what, two or three year fight with our government and finally won. Mm -hmm. Um, It was not even a month ago I got the letter saying, you know, we have figured out that it was supposed to be applied to yours. This is done. It's over with. But it's just it never ends. It feels like I thought it was over when we divorced, but it just goes on and on and Mm -hmm. on. Wow. No, um, it's interesting. The the take that I had heard of through someone else is essentially that the, uh, the husband in this case not only had full control of the finances so it's like you know you, you don't get access mm-hmm. i'll i'll cover yeah. all the bills you don't get to see what's going on behind the scenes but also had a lot of um the prop even the property that they owned was in a trust a family trust mm-hmm. um, that was associated with his family um so uh, and all the bills were in his name the utility bills and things like that so that actually when um, the, the lady decided that enough was enough. She's going to move with her children again. You know, feeling, feeling as if you know, I can't move because of the children. You know, you've got, to, right. got to have that stability. Right. One of those elements of I can't leave this is because, you know, no utility bills in your name, no property actually in your name because it's in a trust that isn't you know, right. is, is tied up somewhere else. You know, and it all seemed all the arguments in the first seemed like really good arguments for tax reasons, for you mm-hmm. know, uh, you know, for ease of use. I'll do all of that and things. And it's it's a really slippery slope. And it, it prompted a conversation between me and my wife, which is I do most of the financial pieces here, but I'm you know I, I'm not. <laughs> here. I want to make sure that we've got things like you know, should anything right. happen, you know, I don't want to leave you in that situation so if people are finding themselves in a situation where they are um on reflection have no if things were to to step away would you have anything in your name would you have anything that you could claim half of (laughs) right and that's the thing it's all about control it's exactly what you said because that's what i encountered in the first half of my marriage where he didn't want a joint checking account i Mm. could not have access to the money Mm. and you know he traveled for work and was only home two or three days a month so you know it was very difficult and at a certain point he finally said fine i'll add your name that you can write checks but i had to go to him you know like as if I worked for a corporation and say, here's the bills. I wrote them out. Can you sign them? You know, it's asking permission. And Mm -hmm. I have encountered so many people with their stories. Several people have come to me and said that they have to provide receipts, even for just running and getting, you know, some milk from the store, or they ran out of sugar, simple things. They have to provide the receipt, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's, that's just, you know, it's so needless and unreasonable and causes this, you know, these are the simple things that cause fear in the person that, you know, is being made to do these things. You know, it makes you feel worthless and incompetent and and unworthy and less than and all these awful things. And that's Mm -hmm. where it starts to affect your, you know, your self-image and your self-esteem and it affects your emotions and your mental stability. So, Mm -hmm. You know, again, it's it's these insidious, insidious little little daily things that happen constantly yeah. over time that really cause the the problems. 
And so, you know, what what were the you know, it's a classic question of what was the tipping point? What was the straw that broke the back, camel's back? But and maybe there isn't one. But I'm as interested in that. But also, what pro, uh, sort of prompted you to then go on and do something so positive in terms of writing the book and and being that voice for people? So, uh, what was it? Well. For you? You know, it the, it is, it, you're exactly right. I already shared, you know, for me, it was getting sick. Um, right. That was the straw that broke the camel's back because otherwise I, I'm, I hate to say I'd probably, we'd probably still be married because right. I was just, I felt very strongly that I knew who he was before I married him. I, I even talk in the book about the, the wedding day when they started playing the wedding march and everybody stood up and turned around um, I, I, I didn't want to walk down that aisle. I, I literally thought, what, what the heck am I doing? I mm. don't want to marry him. We're going to get divorced. I knew that. Um, but I went through with it, the pressure. Mm. Mm. Um, I figured this is what I wanted. Now I'm getting it. Now I'm in it. I knew who he was. So now I got to deal kind of like make your bed and lie in it. Right. Um, but the straw that broke the camel's back and the problem is, you know, a lot of people, you know, will tell a victim and I've heard it a million times. Well, if it was so bad, why didn't you leave? Yeah. Narcissists, there's this constant push and pull with them. Um, there's terms that we use like breadcrumbing when they feel like, you know, they're losing you a little bit, or, you know, maybe you're pulling away, you're getting emotionally distant, physically distant suddenly that's when the flowers come and the steak and lobster dinners and oh you really wanted this you know whatever it is this mm. purse or this car or, you know something really extravagant and then you think oh they really do love me they just must be really you know overwhelmed with work or stressed about life and you know you make these excuses mm. because suddenly they love you and then a few days go by they ignore you they treat you badly maybe even things you know holes are being punched in the wall doors are being slammed but then they love you again they caress your cheek when you're sitting and watching tv and so there's there's this it, it literally is a love-hate relationship but every time you lose hope they show you that other side of them that they're capable of. That's mm. wonderful and charming and funny. And you laugh and, and, you know, this is the person you love. It's the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Um, so the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of us, you know, there is going to be that one thing. And for me, it was getting sick. I started feeling ill around 2016, 2017, but it just, spiraled downhill so fast um, to the point where I, I knew I needed to see a doctor. Um, he was not open to me seeing a doctor because it costs money and only he was allowed to the, go, go to the doctor and have tests that cost money, not me. You know, so I made excuses. I, I suffered and dealt with it, but it got to the point where it, it was actually November 3rd, 2018. I'll never forget it because we had a terrible, terrible fight that night. Um, he drank a lot. He was drunk that night. We had a terrible fight. Um, he took advantage of me sexually and I was not, um, wanting that to happen, but it happened and it was awful. And I just, within two weeks after that, my body, I, I, I dropped 15 pounds. I was down to 93 pounds. I was skeletal. Hmm. People were stopping me and asking me what was wrong. Cause my face, I had a grayish, pallor and I just had no energy and my just ever nothing was working. I kept getting dizzy, blacking out even while I was driving once I blacked out and 
So I, I went through test after test with doctors, um, cardiologists, the neurologists that, you know, all the, the sleep study. And, and that's when they eventually figured out that I have this very rare lung disease called upper airway resistance syndrome that the doctor likens to having COPD, which is a lung disease, yep. as well as fibromyalgia with all kinds of other fun symptoms all at the same time. So it's not just a lung disease and is actually also a sleep disorder. It's categorized as such because it's very common in victims of abuse. And that's why it's not recognized. In, you know, a lot of doctors aren't even aware of this um, lung disease, but um, that's the other thing about narcissists is they don't like you to sleep. They will interrupt your sleep on yeah. purpose con constantly every night um, so that it kind of creates this irritability in you so that when they've told everybody what an awful person you are, you are irritable and you're tired and you just get, you know, you have no patience for them. Right. So you might snap and show the side that they're saying. It also creates confusion, um, brain fog, you know, all these yeah. things so that you can't think clearly. Well, I didn't say that. I didn't do that. Yeah, I heard you. Right. No, I didn't. You're you're too tired. You probably just can't focus. You know. So right. there's all these manipulative tactics they use. But um, but for me, all of this was going on at once. And right. and and then by the end of 2018, I was still not doing well, and had some tests. And the doctor looked at me and said, he said, your body is shutting down. Your body is shutting down. Your heart is barely beating. Your blood pressure is so low. Your heart rate is so low. They were talking about putting a stent in to help it beat. Mm. Um, you know, my my muscles, I, I couldn't sit for five minutes. Otherwise, I'd feel like I, you know, I, I was so stiff. I'd be like a hundred year old person trying mm. to stand back up. Just so many things were happening. And I just thought, my God, my body is shutting down. I'm 40 some years old. Mm. This shouldn't be happening. And I don't want to die. Right. Um, so I had to make a change. It, yeah. it it just, it wasn't worth it at that point to try to be noble or to hang in there for my son, which is what I was trying to do. Right. Um, you know, and in the end, it, the joke was on me, I guess, because I came home from work one afternoon and, um, he was gone wow. and it, it's interesting because it's a typical narcissist thing. He couldn't, his ego couldn't be, yes, he couldn't be hurt by his wife leaving him with his son. He had to leave me. And he told people I was harassing him and I, right. I was abusive right. and I was this and that. And I didn't even care at that point. He was out of the house. He was gone. I, I was like, thank you. I, it just, it relieved me because right. I, I was worried that I would never get him out of the house. Yeah. So. Wow. Um, <laughs> there's a lot lot to take in on that one i really really do feel for you but you've you've taken that and you've taken yeah. that story and you've you've shared that story through the book um, yes so who's the book for so the, you know typically in this section of, of the podcast that i'm asking who are you helping and how do you help them i mean you're helping by sharing the story and, and giving that ability so tell us a bit more about the book and and what got you there and what's the book yeah cover? absolutely um honestly the book actually resulted from me keeping a notebook um 
a record of all the things that I was being told were not said and were not being done. Mm. I, that's gaslighting. Yep. Um, so I kept a notebook because I honestly thought maybe, maybe it is me. Maybe I am going crazy. Um, maybe I am seeing things a, a different way. So I started keeping a notebook, date, time, what happened, what was said very briefly. And honestly, one day I just, it just came to me. I thought, you know, I am a writer and a speaker. Yeah. I need other people to understand what's going on because I'm showing up at, you know, my son's golf meets or when he was little, the T-ball the games with cupcakes and smiling and yeah. acting like we're this, you know, even with family show up on the holidays. Look at us. Here yeah. we are with the presents. Nobody knew. Nobody right. had any idea because I couldn't let on. So I thought I was so alone. I mm. thought nobody else is going through this. I am the only one. And then when I did start, you know, talking to people or even looking online, I discovered what narcissism was mm. and light bulbs went off. I said, oh my gosh, this is a thing. And I realized, you know, as I said earlier, that there are a lot of people that are not safe and they are so fearful. But what if I could put myself in a situation where I am safe, which I am now, yep. and where I have the ability and the resources to speak up about it, which I am, and is this is what I'm doing, so that I can, one, let other victims know they're not alone, mm -hmm. and there is a way out. I want to prove to them that, you know, you, you can have a beautiful life afterward. Mm -hmm. You know, there is life on the other side of it, if you can get out safely. And that's the key. But the other, you know, target that I'm going with with the book is for mental health professionals, um, you know, and people that work with victims of abuse, maybe in shelters or, you know, in government offices, people might not understand. I, I know even my husband, he grew up with a lovely family, um, you know, very close knit he doesn't, un he sees everything, you know, that I'm still, you know, repercussions that we're still dealing with because I do have a son with my ex, but he still will never understand. And a lot of people don't understand if they haven't been through it. So mm. it, it, I was very fortunate again, to have a college education in journalism and psychology. So I was able to figure out my situation and, you know, even though people's experiences differ here and there, I'm able to give perspective and verbiage that maybe some victims are not able to um, give to their doctors or therapists or counselors or whoever it is that they're trying um, to seek, you know, some help from. So, you know, I've been fortunate. Um, one of my book signings um, that I had out of state, I did have a mental health professional come and she said, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, because now I understand so much better where a victim is coming from, because she said that that is primarily what I do is work with victims of abuse. So right. that made me so happy. And I could have talked to her for hours. But, yeah. you know, these are the people that need the book. But honestly, I also have a lot of people telling me it's just a really good read. If you want to read, a, a you know, like a, a thriller, like, you know, about mm. a really awful, dysfunctional, toxic relationship, and you're sitting on a beach or going away somewhere, I've heard it's a good read. Everybody says it's a page turner. I, right. It didn't feel that way when I lived it. But, yeah. you know, I'm glad that I can provide the entertainment, at least, for those looking for that aspect. Yeah. 
No, uh, wonderful. I mean, <laughs> as I say, just the ability to to make something so positive, and and I love the connection there between not only going out and and letting victims have something that they can relate to, and and maybe the people who are maybe teetering on the edge, going, "Can I do something about it? Can I not? Right? What? what you know, am I the only one? And maybe th- this gives them some confidence to do take some exactly. steps." Exactly. But I, I, what I really love as well is that other connection that you had with the um, with the uh, health service professionals, you know, and, and those yes. carers. Because, as you say, that's where you can leverage. If you can get that knowledge into some of those people, they are uh, touching so many lives in that space. Then, then you, your good <laughs> goodness and your good message can be accelerated and leveraged a- across those. So exactly, fantastic news. Exactly. Um, one little snippet that I came across that I was intrigued by is okay. I believe the uh, chapters are song, uh, their the titles are song, <laughs> song lyrics or song titles. They are. They are all song titles. So I tried to explain that a little bit in the foreword of the book. So when I was a little girl, you know, again, I was raised by a narcissist and, and a mother who just looked the other way. Um, and I was, a, as you can imagine, by talking to me, I was a very strong-willed little yeah. girl um, who spoke my mind. And I learned very quickly that came with consequences I didn't like. Um, I could not be controlled. I always said I was the horse that couldn't be broken. Um, but I learned very quickly at a very young age not to speak my mind um, so so directly. So what I did, I loved music. I yeah. loved music. And so I would hear a song and I would kind of associate it with a person or with a situation. And it's just kind of, I guess it it seems so juvenile that here I'm 47 years old, but (laughs) I still, it's almost a little game, you know, that if a song reminds me of something or somebody, it just, that's what I apply to it. Cause I didn't get in trouble as a little girl. If I was humming a song or singing the lyrics, it was just a song, but to me, it meant so much more. And honestly, it was a coping mechanism for me. Um, it got me through music, got me through everything. And Mm. it's still very important to me today. Cause I love, I love whether it's the melody or often it's the lyrics that, you know, say the things that I didn't know how to express myself. So I had a lot of fun because most, a lot of the song titles I already knew because that, like I said, I've always associated certain um, situations with songs, but you know, there were some chapters that I wrote that didn't have a song association. So it was fun to kind of uh, play with music a little bit. And, and you get to know my personality a little bit, somebody that I do know who actually is a musician that, that did read the book um, I just saw her a couple weeks ago and she said, boy, I can, I know your sense of humor because some of those song titles, they were kind of cheeky, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it could be some awful, horrible, you know, thing that happened in the chapter, but you know, it would be like a little 1920s song, you know, that <laughs> had a really light melody. So it, it was fun to do that, but you know, you have to, you have to lighten things up. We all everybody has a story everybody has been through stuff but Mm. you know you want to grow and you want to learn and and like I said you know I I it's not that I don't cry some days or at some memories but you know we also have to show people that you can live life and that it's okay yeah you know you can get through it so could you give us a little tip one or two uh, of of those titles What, what are some of the intriguing ones that you see in there that uh just to get people well (laughs) okay so my favorite one and it's terrible it's terrible 
But my favorite one, I have a chapter, the end of the chapter, I'll just give a little blurb. He went to a New Year's Eve party, but he didn't take me because I, he didn't take me anywhere a lot of mm. times. And I knew he was doing things he shouldn't be doing. Right. He came back so drunk that night. He actually told me that he was doing things he shouldn't be doing with another female and that she told him that she'd never seen such a big dick before. So the name of that chapter is there's a you you know their old uh, rock group Metallica. Oh yes, big okay. Yeah. So Metallica, they did not release the song on an album, but they call it the Dick Song, <laughs> and they did it on YouTube, and it's just a riff, and and they just repeatedly sing with the riff. You're a dick. You're a dick. You're a dick. <laughs> I just again, that's my sense of humor. So that to me is the fun one. Um, Gosh, there's so many. I mean, everyone means something to me. Every one of those songs. Um, the other one people had fun with was um, the chapter where I, I go to the divorce. Um, I was wearing a red dress that you'd wear to a nightclub for my divorce because I was so excited. Right. It had sequins on it. It was bright red. I had stiletto heels. I looked ridiculous in the middle of the day going to a lawyer's office. Um, in this getup, but I called that chapter "Sorry, Not Sorry." Right. Um, that's the Demi Lovato song, because yeah. um, that was just the song that I remember hearing on the radio that day, and I had my club dress on, and I was feeling good. And even all the people at the lawyer's office, they said we've never congratulated or seen somebody so happy to get a divorce. <laughs> I was smiling, and <laughs> so yeah, we oh. we had fun with them. And there's some depressing, awful songs too, because there were some things that happened that weren't nice but yeah. um again it's really funny people can find the playlist on youtube i do right. have it in oh, order okay. of chapters yep. um so you can either just listen to it or listen to it with the book but um for me music's a big thing and i am in the process of publishing the prequel which talks about growing up being raised by a narcissist and right. Those chapter titles are also songs, and I am currently writing the sequel to Gasping for Air, which talks about the friend that turned out to be the narcissist and ruined my happily ever after, but I'm still doing well. She she didn't ruin it too bad. Got through it. <laughs> no, I, I, I love that, and I I think there's, I, I do a lot with music as well. Um, if I'm facilitating oh, something, for instance, I, I like to have a little bit of music in the background. And yes. uh, um, I was doing one recently and I spent so much effort uh, just making the playlist for this, uh, uh, for this particular yes. day that we were doing, you know, when it was coming to coffee time, I would have uh, coffee and TV by uh, by Blur and um, oh, I love it. And then the one that I'd realised how how much older than the audience I was, I, I always like to have a song where people it's like come back to the room because it's now t the break is over. Okay. So uh, and <laughs> you may not even know Pato Banton uh, back in the nineties, sort of. Uh, pop reggae shall we say and uh there's, oh. a, there's a song called baby come back and, and oh i do know that yeah, one yes uh, i love it yeah See, so you and I'll, i think the same that's I'll, the I'll, sense I'll, of humor <laughs> i love and, it and i was playing it and loving it and, and people were getting into it and i was like right who knows who that is and I look around the room and there's all these like it was a, a group of graduates or so sort of in their early 20s and they were looking at me and I was like no dear you're showing your age here Paul there we go that's um, okay that's okay I've got you and <laughs> um, so maybe a slightly different question then in terms of if you 
and maybe that you're answering the question in what you're doing right now but if you could help anyone uh, any individual or group of people with the skill set and the the approach that you've got who would you want that to be you know i i i think i would have to stick like with what i said i think mental health professionals mm. Um, I think they're the key here because victims, it's very, I mean, many people came to me throughout the years. They, they saw through the facade, um, but you couldn't have got, I wouldn't leave my son. I wouldn't like, I, 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 I wouldn't do it. Mm. Um, I think mental health professionals are the key for understanding and being able to help and say the right things and, and help other people situations a little bit more for what they really are um and hopefully get them out before you know they end up like me suffering physical consequences or mm. i mean i hate to say some people don't make it out at all yeah. um and we don't like that to happen so mental health professionals and i also think that they would be you know a step in the right direction for our criminal justice system right. to take it a little more seriously mm. you know in whatever um testimonies and such they can provide um, to the courts because right. the courts really don't do a whole lot. I, you know, unfortunately, at least here in the U S but I have spoken to people, um, in the UK that there's a lot that needs to be done, even Australia, all over the world. Um, it's just not something that's recognized. Um, you know, if, if I was shot or stabbed or punched, mm. the authorities would do something, but when they can't physically see, um, evidence. Yeah. It, it's very difficult to to get your justice. Indeed. Um, and if we flip that question around a little bit, then and said okay. if you if you were able to sit down and have a coffee or have a drink, oh. have a meal with somebody to learn from them and help you be at your best, who would you want that to be? That's a loaded question. I mean, I need a whole group of people. <laughs> you can have um, a group. It's all good. I mean, honestly, you know, I'm a Christian, so Jesus was a human being. I, honestly, I, I just want to ask him, like, what happened? <laughs> what are we doing wrong? What are we supposed to be doing differently? Um, Gandhi, I, I mean, you know, just somebody that can give enlightenment and and tell me what I can what I can say to people. What can I do to change? Because I just think people. Um, I mean, it's not just narcissists. I mean, I hate to get on my soapbox a little bit, but all, all the things going on in the world, you know, if people were just simply kind to other people yeah. on social media, in person, um, and a little, well, a lot less selfless, I think things would be better overall in this world. And, and it wouldn't be such a cruel praise. And, and I know that sounds so idealistic, um, one more person I absolutely love if anyone is in the realm of narcissism and narcissistic abuse, Dr. Romani. She's here in the U.S., um, does a lot of YouTube and social media. She is phenomenal. And I have read and listened to many, many um, experts in narcissism. But for, for me, um, she just she resonates uh, with a lot of my thinking and a lot of my experiences. And she speaks about it so so precisely and mm. accurately um i i could probably spend years with her <laughs> but a cup of coffee would be okay too so Brilliant. that that would be my answer superb
Um, I mean, and finally, Dana, I mean, how can people find out more? How can they get in touch with you or find out more about your story? Uh, we'll obviously, we'll have the links to um, uh, to your book and things like that in the show notes. But where do people Perfect. go to, to find you and uh, to find out more about your story and how they can connect? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the book is on Amazon. You'll provide the link. Um, yeah. Social media, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, TikTok, um, Dana S. Diaz or Dana S. Diaz author, depending on the, the format, but I try to be pretty available. I also have a website, DanaSDiaz.com, yeah. where you have access to buy the book um, there. I have a blog there. Um, you can contact, click to contact me directly, um, but I am very open with you know, anybody that wants to get in touch with me, I've had attorneys get in touch with me. I've had victims get in touch with me, message me on any one of those platforms, email me through the website. Um, you know, I, I will help in whatever way I can or give whatever advice or answer any questions that I can to the best of my ability based on my experiences. But I absolutely do want people to know that I am reachable. Um, and on the social media, I do advertise where I'm having book signings and such. If you wanted to meet me in person, I do actually spend time, even if there is a line, I like to spend time with every single person. Um, I want to hear stories. I want to give you a hug if you need it. I, you know, just we all need to be there for each other, you know, and be a little more human towards each other. You know, we all need that. So. Yeah. <laughs> what a message. I mean, I think we can we can all learn a lot from that and uh I, I mean thanks again for for sharing your story not only with with me and and with the the audience here but for putting yourself out there and for using that experience to uh reach out to the world and hopefully make a difference and i think you found some amazing leveraging points as well as making yourself available to people who might just want that little bit of confidence to, yeah to tip themselves safely into that next space and i, I think exactly. that's exactly that, that's a wonderful thing so thank you so much for being on the show today dana i, I really appreciate you. your time i appreciate you having me thank you again cheers thanks for listening to today's episode if you liked what you heard then please give the podcast a rate review and share i'm paul teasdale and from sausage making to banking oil and gas to formula one i help people perform if you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.